Hey y'all, welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes, I am your host. Today we are talking with Regine Vital, who is currently rehearsing as Louise in the Seven Guitars at the Actors Shakespeare Project in Boston. Mm. Regine, would you like to tell the people a little about yourself? Um, sure, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm from the Boston area, uh, born in Boston, raised in Somerville, Mass., um, and I've been acting now, at least on the Boston scene for, oh God, every time I have to think about this, I'm like, where does the time go? Where has the time gone? It's been almost 10 years. Oh, wow. Like, um, and it's weird because like, I, whenever I think about it, cause I feel like I only just started cause I feel like I'm still like getting to know people and doing things. Um, but I guess it's been almost it's been yeah almost 10 years like 2013 2014 I think okay. um around there so yeah um I don't know I don't know what else to say about me I guess that's <laughs> what I'll say for now <laughs> no worries that's exactly how I am whenever anybody asks me a question about myself everything I know is like bye yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. um well, awesome. Before we uh, dive too far into an interview, uh, I'm going to smoke a little bowl. Unfortunately, nice. Regine is feeling a little under the weather, so yeah. she will not join me today, but that's okay. We got to do what we got to do to take care of our bodies. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, like maybe they'll all have a reason for there to be a next time, at which point we'll go full out. <laughs> hey, uh, the next season that we're doing is going to be all about like the problem plays so if you feel passionately about one of those uh i would love to have you back all right y'all we are back with regine we are well I am nice and high. Regine is picky. <laughs> um, but contact high through the through the yes. cyberwebs. It's yes. it's gonna come. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent sure that's how it works. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Regine, I'll get us started with my favorite question to ask everybody first, which is, what experience got you to love Shakespeare? Oh wow. Um, so. I, if I have to pinpoint something, I would say it was, so after undergrad, I went to Boston University for undergrad and I majored in English and history, but kind of like had no clue what I was doing. I was like, I like to read and I like history. So cool. Um, but somehow I, I never took a Shakespeare class, like to be an English major and not take a required Shakespeare course. Um, like I did, you know, Shakespeare I I read some Shakespeare but it was never because it was a Shakespeare class like I read like Othello in a general humanities like great books course and then I took a class I took two classes that were about other writers from the period so we didn't read any Shakespeare in those courses huh. and so like I you know I graduated undergrad I think I'd been out about a year and a half or two years um and I, I was like, I'm kind of bored. I think I want to go back to school, but I don't know what I want to study. Let me take a couple of just, you know, whatever courses at BU at the time. I think it's still there, but it was Metropolitan College at BU, which is like the night school. Um, if you for like, you know, if you want to 
learn more things or, you know, get like a secondary degree, but you have a day job. Um, I took a Shakespeare class with Professor Binju, still remember him, and had a blast. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I how did how did I not do this like for real in undergrad? And and it's probably good that I didn't because it meant the pressure was off. Like I, I really was just reading the material out of curiosity and because I wanted to, as opposed to being like uh, mandated to. Um, and and bit like Professor Benji was just great. He had so much enthusiasm for it and it was funny. And he had interesting ways of talking about the plays that like I hadn't really gotten before. And I was just like, I think, I think I'm interested. And then I I that following semester I took another class again with Professor Zhu and um I, I was just like okay this is this is it like I didn't know exactly how I was going to like make a career out of it but I was like I think like Shakespeare is going to help me figure some professional career stuff out and and that's really what happened <laughs> that's awesome I feel like it's so hard to find good Shakespeare teachers so that's very yeah. lucky <laughs> yeah I agree I I the first time I mean I'd you know you read Shakespeare in high school and it wasn't so much that I didn't enjoy it like you know we, we read it in high school um but I do remember like reading Hamlet my senior year in, in high school um and I remember finishing it and be like, never again. I will never read this play again. I, I don't want to touch Shakespeare ever again. Like, just keep it away from me. Um, it didn't quite work out that way. But uh, <laughs> but still, it was, I, I remember just thinking like, it just, I, nobody taught it well to me until, until that class. No, yeah. I feel very passionately that like, Hamlet's great, but maybe shouldn't be people's Shakespeare starter play. Like, uh, it's a lot. Not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I I agree. Um, and it's usually not. I feel like most people start most like when you're in when like teachers are introducing uh young people to Shakespeare, it's like Romeo and Juliet or a Midsummer mm -hmm. Night's Dream, to which I always say like. I don't know that you should be reading A Midsummer Night's Dream with eighth graders. I mean, the play is about, is it's dark as fuck. And like, there are all sorts of consent issues at play. Like, I don't know that we want to be doing that. And also Romeo and Juliet ends with a double suicide. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Oh, and, and it's a filthy play. Like the first two and a half <laughs> acts are filthy. Like, I don't know that like, I mean, I'm not saying that 13 year olds don't already have like their own ways of talking about those things, <laughs> but like, do we want to give them the, you know, Shakespeare's double entendres in addition? Like, it's so true. I was just rereading Romeo and Juliet and had a few of those similar thoughts, but I guess to be fair, like, I think I read Midsummer in seventh grade. Oh, wow. And I think I just hadn't had conversations about like consent or many about like sex the way that it's presented in that place so I think a lot of it was over my head but mm -hmm. I also grew up in Draper Utah so ah. I was very sheltered and that probably plays a part in that yeah um yeah, yeah you're right. having having never been to Utah I I would say like me I mean like I 
I so I was in a production of a Midsummer Night's Dream last year, and it was it was mostly for students. So it was like a series of of um student matinees, and um we had I think there were some high school aged kids there, but we also had some like seventh and eighth graders. I think we might have had as young as sixth grade. And I, I remember in the talk back after, like they were never explicit questions about consent <laughs> or about, you know, uh, sexual activity or anything like that. But the vibe that I got from those kids was that they kind of like got some of those sub, that subtext and undertones. Um, and we, and it's not like we were trying to push that on them. Like, I think no. they just, you know, <laughs> they just, they just kind of got it. Um, so yeah, I'm always a little bit like, I, like, Thank God I'm not your teacher. I'm not the one teaching this to you, so I don't have to deal with it. But yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Good for them for recognizing those things so young. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Awesome. So moving forward, you studied at King's College and the Globe, which is so freaking cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences there, like the highlights, uh, what you would change if you would change anything? Yeah. Um, no, yeah. So it's this really great program. Um, it's a one year master's program. Um, and it's the, the, it's just generally called Shakespeare studies, but it's not just Shakespeare that you study. It's a bit of theater history, a bit of like regular, like literary critical studies type stuff. Um, and some performance studies as well. So you you think about so you think about the the work as literature, but you also think about it as theater to be performed in front of an audience that has mm -hmm. effect. Um, and also thinking about what does it mean to create essentially uh, the theater industry in the early modern period. Um, I think sometimes uh, we forget that one of the things Shakespeare was also doing besides writing these plays was helping to create an entire industry. Um, within the society of like performing plays and making it um, a commercial enterprise. Um, I think, you know, we think of him as the bard, but he was, he was a, he was a businessman as well. Like huh. he was making money off of this stuff in all sorts of ways. Um, and so that's one of the ways that the program works is to kind of really get us to, um, at least one of the things that I got out of it, I will say for me, is a, a, is a de-romanticized notion of what Shakespeare is as a dramatic text, as a mm. person in history, um, and as um, as theater, as a as an artistic exercise activity uh, work, um, and it was really really cool. I I really wanted something that felt. I really wanted to be in a space where I just kind of felt more immersed in. Shakespeare and that's why I'd found out about it but what ended up happening was it kind of got like this whole world cracked open in a really lovely way um so we you know, we we read we encountered Ben Jonson and Marlowe and um you know Fletcher and Beaumont and Fletcher and all these other writers who we just never talk about in like um you know, in a broader conversation about Shakespeare and like the theater and in society, which is wild because Shakespeare wasn't even the most popular writer in the period. Like um, he didn't even write the best-selling play of the period. That huh. was, you know, uh, it was uh, Middleton, Thomas Middleton did. Um, 
you know, and a lot, Ben, he, he didn't even write, you know, the first folio that was ever published or printed wasn't this, wasn't Shakespeare's folio. It wasn't the 1623. It was Ben Johnson, um, huh. who, you know, he's like, I'm going to put out a folio of my own work. Right. And it was like that precedent that was like, oh, let's do this. for, And, and so like, I, it was really, really great to kind of be in a space that, um, allowed that sort of area to be more than what it is than what it had felt like before um and you know there's if you're gonna I feel like you know if you can if you're able to do it if it's financially possible um studying Shakespeare in England is like amazing and studying Shakespeare in London is amazing to like be on the bank side like um you know at the Globe which is not just a theatrical entertainment venue but also a research venue so you're meeting scholars and researchers and actors and performers, and there's just this really lovely ecosystem there um, to kind of be immersed in a world and not just a subject. And that's what it felt like for me. Um, and I met some really great people, some smart people, the people who are in my cohort. Um, I consider, you know, a number of the people that uh, were my instructors while I was there to be like mentors and, you know, like advisors about things and it, it was really actually quite instrumental in me figuring out as an artist, like forget just as a student, as a, like, you know, somebody who's just interested, like as an artist, what is it that I enjoy about what I do in the theater? Huh. Why do I do what I do in the theater? Um, and it's, it's helped me to figure out that I, that I have a practice as well, which has been really nice. Wow. That sounds like such a wonderfully well-rounded program. Like, I feel like when I think about the angle at which the average person comes at Shakespeare, it's like literary or performance or historical yeah. context. And you got all of those things, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and like, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's a one-year program and there's a lot that still needs to be done. And I know that there's work being done around that. So like, you know, engaging, um, with Shakespeare from an anti-racism lens, um, thinking about it through critical race studies and, and queer studies and all those things. And there's a lot of that work that's happening. Um, and there are ways in which it's happening in the classroom. And there are also things that are happening on the stage. And so finding the ways to bring that together, mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is I think something that needs to continue. I also had like the bonus of being able to do an internship at the Globe. So like, I had like an extra foot in into the milieu of it all. Um, so it was just, so yeah, it, it was a really kind of full, well-rounded, um, experience. It's a lot to fit into a year. So I'm sure so there were definitely things when I was like, oh, I wish I could spend more time like with this play or with, um, this playwright or thinking about this concept, um, in practice and performance. Um, but you know, I think generally for, for what the program is trying to do and wants to do, and I think as, as goals for itself, it, it was, it was a, you know, quite profound experience for me. That's awesome. Um, what was your responsibility as an intern at the Globe? I was a research assistant. Um, okay. They, it's a job that is this posted. They like to have like an a MA person, somebody who's doing a master's or doing some sort of higher education degree, apply for it. Um, and it just worked out that like uh, the two folks they hired my, the year that I was there, um, we were both on the program. Uh, and so it was fun. It was, it was, 
um, I mean, I was, I was an employee of the globe for like six months. Um, like, and I got to know so many great people. I think that was the other thing. I think that's the other reason why for me, I had such a great time is, um, I, you know, moving from home and it was like, like the, it wasn't the first time I'd been abroad, but I was like living truly, truly living away from home for an extended period of time. Mm. And it was in another country. Like it wasn't just like moving to another city or moving to another state. Like I crossed an ocean um, <laughs> and I had, I had had friends there. So I had people um, for support and I made friends on the program. Um, so it's not like I was without um, community. Uh, but what was nice about you know, being an intern at the Globe, you know, in addition to making a few extra bucks while I was there, was like, I got to know all these people who are working in this building, like whether it was, you know, greeters at the door, people at the box office, or there's like a pub that's adjacent to the theater. And so at the time, we would go back and forth to like, these people who like, you know, went from serving me drinks with my friends and hoping that we didn't break all their glasses. <laughs> Suddenly we're like, you know, I'd see them after work and like I'd pop in and be able to say like, hi, how are you? And have conversations with them. And the same with like, the, you know, security folks and like front of house people. It was just a really nice, I got to, I got to experience this really lovely community um, in a place that I really love and felt at home at um, in, in the globe in a city that I really felt connected to and really felt at home at. So it was just kind of like this perfect little nugget in some ways. Wow. That's yeah. really incredible. That makes me very happy for you. I can just see <laughs> like your eyes are like twinkling right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I kind of I love it. <laughs> oh man, I'm jealous. I might have to look into that program. Um... See, I, I fully, fully encourage you to do so. It's, it's a great program. Um, the Farah Kareem Cooper, who is the head of higher education at the Globe, is doing some really, really great work um, around uh, making not just like studying Shakespeare more equitably, but making the field more equitable and anti-racist, um, along with a lot of other scholars and and um, researchers. Um, and the person who's like running, who's overseeing the MA program, Will Tosh, is just a sweetheart and you know smart and fun. And interesting and uh both of them are just lovely so they're like great supporters and so I, I would say um absolutely look into it if you'd like to I feel like I'm plugging it and that's not <laughs> the point of it but um <laughs> no that's okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> plug it plug it just for me like honestly <laughs> if for no one else I I will take the plug because yeah. <laughs> I love this stuff so nice. awesome awesome um so kind of looking ahead to the present mm. um you have taken all of these wonderful skills and built a very amazing career for yourself and you are currently you. acting with the actor shakespeare project in boston in Ooh. seven guitars could you maybe give us like a brief summary of the play tell us a little about your character mm. and how rehearsals are going yeah, so Seven Guitars is a play about, um, I think generally speaking, and this is, I think this is true about all of August Wilson's work in the American Century Cycle. It's about, you know, the American dream and what the American dream looks like for particular people at a given moment. So it's set in 1948. Um, we have a, a young Black man who served in the war, has come home, 
um, got a raw deal and when he got arrested and put in jail for 30 days for, for really no reason. Um, but he has this dream of becoming a musician. He wants to be a jazz musician and he's talented and he's passionate. Um, but, you know, trying to make it work, trying to like, you know, what's the opportunity that's going to set him on the path. Um, and, you know, he's got a band and how does he relate to the folks in this band and what are their dreams for their futures? And, you know, what does it look like in, for these, for these people to be um, black and fully expressed and successful in a world that, that, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels like it's doing everything to stamp them out. Um, and the play in a lot of ways really focuses on that for the men in the story, the young men. Um, there's one older gentleman um, as well who plays his, the character's name is Headley. But for the most, actually, you know, there's another, well, I guess they're young men and also like middle-aged men. <laughs> but it's like these, these men who are kind of like in this world who does this world value them? Does this world allow them to, to acquire value? Um, and I mean that in every sense of the word, to be value. I mean, they are valuable. They're humans. They're they're living, breathing human beings. They're valuable. But do they get to, um, you know, do they get to be artists? Do they get to be fathers? Do they get to be um, lovers? Do they get to love the people that they want to be with? Do they, all these different things. Um, and and I think that's one of the, that's kind of like the general way that I would describe the play. Um, I think it's also in general about a group of people who found a way to make a family amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. um, there are four men and three women in the play. Um, and you get the sense of uh, a lot of what it means to be Black sometimes is to kind of create your community and in creating community, you create your family. And, you know, families squabble and, you know, they, they, you know, poke at each other and joke with each other. Um, but at the end of the day, how do they come together to care for each other? Um, and that I think is another thing that this play uh, portrays in a really beautiful way. Um, I play Louise uh, and Louise is kind of like uh, this sort of no nonsense, um, fierce, I don't know, this fierce sounds cliche, but she's got, you know, a lot of strength and a lot of attitude and a lot of presence but she's also fun she's kind of like one of the guys um but the guys also know that she's the boss don't mess around with you know with her um and so it's been a really interesting role for me to play because I've played strong women before but in a lot of ways this role is is been interesting and different for me because like the sort of the kind of like a a energy that Louise has we were was trying to parse this out with with the cast and the director recently it was like she feels like she's got all this kind of like sexual energy and not because she's sexualizing herself or being sexualized but that there's this kind of verve and life that runs through her that is both strong and powerful but also sexy and um uh alluring and brings people in like everybody mm -hmm people in this place are all connected to her in some way shape or form and, and you get the vibe that like she's she's kind of glue that holds the group together at least that's how I feel um about her and um it's it's an interesting way to kind of occupy that like space like um like I'm not gonna say that you know I mean August is is you know if there's a criticism of August Wilson's work it is that there should be more women in his plays and there should be more like um, more uh, uh, portrayals of, of black women in his plays. But the thing that I feel like I'm finding for myself in Louise is this kind of 
that gender like she has to live within the body she's in right it's 1948 Mm -hmm. in in the united states she's a black woman that means certain things about how she gets to express herself and exist in the world but within the space that she's created with these people um it almost doesn't matter like like when she's hanging out with the guys and she's flirting with them yeah she's flirting with them like a man and a woman are flirting but like actually it's not that it's not it's 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 all her like her presence and who this person is that's kind of this allure and I'm I'm really I'm really kind of enjoying figuring that out that's really cool the first thing that came to mind for me is like as much as I love Shakespeare, his women are not always like multidimensional. Yep. Um, so it, it sounds nice to play a woman. <laughs> who, yeah. Yeah. Go, go, yeah, go. No, no, I was just going to say, like, you're right. Like, this is one of the complaints about Shakespeare. It's like, there not only are there not a lot of, there aren't a lot of women in Shakespeare either. Like, when you consider what 36, 37, 38, whatever number you want to use, plays in the canon. Um, the number of women to the number of men is, you know, they are not close. And then if you're just thinking about like women in consequential roles versus it's just the numbers aren't close. Um, and then those women, how many of those women are like um, multidimensional or have the potential to be fleshed out to be multidimensional. Um, what I can say about August Wilson is he may not have a lot of women in his plays in in the overall you know canon of his plays but the women he wrote they are formidable Hmm. um and they take up space and they um they are consequential and and they they don't have agency they are determined to find it and so you know if you as an actor who is a who identifies as a woman um it's the it's a meaty gift right to know that like you know the men are titans in in these plays but so are the women um across the board yeah oh yeah oh gosh what a joy to experience Mm. so I guess while we're looking at this play in the context of Shakespeare why do you feel like a play like this is fitting for a theater like the actor's Shakespeare project I you know I it's I think like that's I think that's gonna be like a constant question like wait, you know, after Shakespeare project, shouldn't the project be Shakespeare? Like how are they, blah, blah, blah. and like, I, and I, I, I hear that, but I think the thing, there are a couple of ways to answer this. There, you know, there are those who consider August Wilson to be America's Shakespeare. Um, mm. Like when, when you look at what American theater is and, and, and American playwrights, the scope and depth and breadth of the work that August Wilson created. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, like, I mean, he, August Wilson died in 2005, I believe. His first play was produced in 1986. So there's like a really compressed amount of time in which that he, um, and of course, if it premiered in 86, it would have, you know, he'd been working on it before that. But we're looking at about 20, 25 years at a set of plays in the American century cycle, 10 plays, one for each decade of the 20th century that is trying to speak to the experience of Black Americans in the U.S., specifically African Americans from the U.S., you know, from the Great Migration on. 
And even though the plays are only set in a century, what he's actually trying to do is talk about what the Black experience in America has been since the founding of it, hmm. um, right? Like in, in Gem of the Ocean, which is um, story-wise the first play in the cycle, um, one of the main characters, Aunt Esther, is 300 and uh, like 300 and some odd years old. I, I can't remember the exact number, but when you do the math, it tracks her back to she would have been born in 1604 huh. which would have been the founding of the Jamestown colony in Virginia and so there's this way in which he's talking about the presence of black people on this continent for much longer than we tend to give you know them credit for or actually seek to acknowledge and what does that mean um and he does that by telling stories of like regular people like in seven guitars Floyd um, Barton is a regular person. Floyd Schoolboy Barton. He's just a regular guy with like a regular dream. He like I want to be an artist, right? I want to I want to just play music. Um, Louise is just like a regular woman who's like you know I'm like I've had some shit happen to me, and you know but I keep going. And I'm like if my best friend lives next door and we get together and we play cards and we have a good time, um, and you know life happens, tragedy happens. But it it's life, and it's and in a lot of ways it's so recognizable, um, and I think the reason August Wilson is able to be America's Shakespeare is because he takes he takes stories that that feel that you know on on its face on paper may seem small, but he tells these stories in such epic proportions, like the metaphors are epic the 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 similes are epic the 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 you know the connection like we we read something on page one act one scene one and then like you know five scenes later it's like wait a minute like this was being laid out for me the entire time and that's sort of like I don't want to say structure structure is not the right word but that's sort of like that that very skilled specific storytelling craft I don't think a lot of people have it <laughs> um, I, you know and, and I know you know I, I I love Arthur Miller and there are plays that, that Arthur Miller have has written that I've loved and I've seen but like I, I I I still think August Wilson is doing something bigger and something deeper and 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 more radical in some ways um you know I, I think it's the same thing when it comes to Eugene O'Neill I, I just I just think what August Wilson is trying to do is so it's about so much more than telling a story he's I think he's also trying to craft the genre hmm. or remake the genre of dramatic text and that's what Shakespeare was doing oh. um and all his co-writers they were creating something like as they were building the plane as they were flying it and like making adjustments as it would like you know oh this wing's a little bit wobbly we need to fix it like so it can continue to fly and I think you can see August Wilson doing something similar um in his work and and the fact that he does it you know has this like consistent sort of um series of works that connect I mean I think the thing that's closest to it in Shakespeare's canon ironically enough would be the history plays huh. um the history plays as a series and you know we know the the first tetralogy and the second tetralogy. So there's, you know, the uh, Richard the Second, Henry, Richard the Second, Henry Four, Part One, Part Two, Henry Five, and then Henry Six through Richard the Third, the Eight. But if you tack on also King John, which is technically one of them, Henry the Eighth, which is also one, um, and if you want for kicks, Sir Thomas More, which Shakespeare <laughs> did co-write. Um, 
you know, that those are 10 plays, 10 to 11 plays, right? And and the history plays are never just about the intrigue of court. They are about the history of a people, mm. um, how it became, how England became what England is. You know, like when you read those plays, you're not just reading um, epics about great men who fall. You are also inevitably reading about the making of a people, the making of a nation, um, and the making of of how they exist in the world, the whys, the hows, and the whens they got there. And August Wilson is also doing that, um, except he takes regular people and shows that their lives are just as epic um, and great as the great men that we think of. Um, and then that's where the the sort of the effect of it is. And there's beauty in that. And, and I I just, I mean, that's a very long answer. There are lots of other ways I could answer the question, but those are the things that I think of. Yeah, no, that's great. I've been having a lot of conversations with my Shakespeare peeps about like, what does it look like to redefine the word classic mm. and to like say, okay, well, if we didn't take the care to keep what other communities may have defined as classics around so we can read them. Like what, what are classic plays? What are classic stories? What does that mean? And yeah. I feel like you just defined that beautifully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be a 400 year old play for it to be mm. classic in a sense. And I yeah. feel like that kind of storytelling is classic. Um, yeah, yeah, I, and and you know we're we're in a moment. I, I mean, I'm also I also do education work, so you know, for me, I'm like kind of uh, in the and I feel like in the midst of that tension of, you know, do we teach the canon or do we teach like how do we, um, how can we we how can we be culturally responsive to the students we teach? Does that mean we have to ignore the classics, right? Capital T, capital C. Yeah. Um, or or does it mean that or, or does it mean that we 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 say there are more classics, right? And kind of extend that list. But but then then it's a question of well, like if you saturate the space, like how do you make sure you center the things that need to be lifted up? Um so I know like I, I get that there's a tension. And then there's also there's also just like, you know, like the definition of classic is meaning old. Like if it's if it's old, that's what makes it classic. Um, so it, you know, it's a tension that I've, I've I, you know I feel that push and pull often. Um, and and even with August Wilson, I think it's a question, right? Like August Wilson, and for a lot of people, you know, to do his work um, is to do a classic piece of text, an old piece of text. Why aren't we doing contemporary black playwrights, young black playwrights who are writing now? To which I say, I hear you. Yes, and a lot of those black playwrights are probably writing because they read August Wilson's work. Hmm. Um, and so I'm a proponent of connecting the genealogical dots. Shakespeare's not the source of all good English literature, but understanding Shakespeare will help you understand why English literature operates the way it does. Right? August Wilson's not the only great black playwright. But understanding August Wilson will help you to understand what it means to read a Dominique Marceau or, um, you know, a Sybil's uh, Drury or, you know, a lot of these other amazing contemporary Black parrots that we're reading today. Cool. I guess keeping that in mind, um, 
and keeping in mind that this podcast uh, cares a lot about the idea of community and uplifting that, why, hmm, yeah, why do you think Seven Guitars is an important piece of theater for the Boston theater community to experience? Yeah, it's tricky. So what what's one of the things that's interesting about this piece is, you know, um, Boston's a wild town. It's, it's, I think, bigger than, it's not a big, big city, like it's not New York, but in, in so many ways, I think it's bigger than most people realize because there are actually so many different groups and communities in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, Actors Shakespeare Project is a theater company in Boston, um, but it, it is in a lot of ways an itinerant company. It kind of performs in, a, in multiple different places during the course of a season. Um, this play specifically is going to be performed at Hibernian Hall. It's being produced in partnership with Hibernian Hall, which is an institution in Dorchester, um, right smack dab in Black Boston, essentially, like or near Black Boston. And so to be telling this play, which was written by a Black playwright about the Black experience, it's a cast of all Black people directed by a Black director, um, Chris, who's the artistic of the of Actor Shakespeare Project, um, identifies as a Black man. And so you have this like, a whole lot of things coming together, I think, in this production. And it highlights and centers and uplifts a story and a way of existing in the world that isn't immediately, I think, associated with Boston, hmm. but is in Boston. Like the Hill District, where these where the plays take place, where these people live, is a Black neighborhood. So to do a play about Black people living in a Black neighborhood and a Black neighborhood means something, you know, those folks will, they know a Floyd, they know a Louise, they know um, a Vera, who, who is another character in the play. They know Red Carter, who is another character in the play. They know Canewell, they know Ruby, they all these people, Headley, right? They know, they will know these people. And so I think that's one layer of it is like being able to have these recognizable figures in a place that will recognize them. I think it's also really important in a city like Boston that, you know, believes itself to be super erudite and like smart and intellectual and look at all the stuff that we know. And like, we know August Wilson because August Wilson was produced at, you know, the, you know, the local theaters all the time. Great. But what do you know about black people? What do you know about the people he's writing about? And not that you should take every, not that, you know, Boston should take everything that they know about Black folks from one play or, <laughs> or even a series of play by a, plays by a Black playwright, right? Black people are not a monolith. But but I think that, you know, I really believe in the power of theater to be the sort of experience that allows us to reimagine reality Um and to see, and also to see, re-see reality. Like, um, I think when you go to the theater, if you're just having a passive experience where it's like you saw this thing and and it was all on stage and none of it actually touched you and affected you and made your brain do things and your heart do things, and you didn't really go to the theater. Um, I think when we're living in a moment where engaging with people that you don't usually engage with in a, in, in a highly segregated town like Boston, I think this kind of work is important. Um, so it's important, I think, for Black folks, 
for black and brown folks to be like, yeah, my stories are on stage. And it's important for white folks to be like, yes, your stories deserve that stage, should have that stage and have the grandeur that that is just what the experience of black folks is. But also we should come in and listen and actually hear what that is, the experience of Black folks is. I think that's important in Boston um, because, you know, Boston likes to pat itself on its back, but I don't know that it necessarily always deserves that. Hmm. Hmm. I feel that <laughs> coming from <laughs> a lot of what you just said resonates. DC is definitely more of a Black city than Boston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, beyond that, definitely similar like big city small city vibes and a lot of we like to yeah. pat ourselves on the back but maybe we've got some more work to do yeah um, yeah I, mean, <laughs> I I love Boston it's home my parents emigrated to the states and this is where they chose to make a home so this is where they raised us so like I you know I'm not like you know trying to bag on Boston like it's a shitty place like it has its problems and I think that we need to you know, confront that in reality. Um, and, you know, I, like, I still love this city a whole lot. Um, I will probably be buried here <laughs> when the time comes, right? Um, and, and it's because I love this city that much that I think I'm like, we can do better. Let's do better. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. That's like my motto. If you love something and you can see how it could be better, you should push it a little bit to get there. Yeah. Um, so that's lovely. And, you know, I think it's also wonderful that, uh, I, I think it's important to like cater to the community that your theater is in. And mm. I think it's wonderful that Actors Shakespeare Project seems to be doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Regine, I think that is all I have for you today. Do you okay. have anything else you want to add? Um, I mean, I I would just say if, you know, to your listeners and your you know, viewers, if this is also going, like, if you can come down to see Actor Shakespeare's Project's production of Seven Guitars, um, I think you should um, at Hibernian Hall. It's like, I'm so bad at, like, self-promotion. It is literally not what I do. Like, most of the time when I'm in a show my friends and family don't find out about it until closing weekend because I'm like, well, now I know it's good. And also like, <laughs> you might not be able to come see me anyway. So I'm fine. Um, but like this, this piece just feels, there's just a lot of really beautiful work happening on that stage by a lot of really talented, smart, compassionate um, people. And, and like, I, I just want them to be seen. It's rare that you get to be a part of a piece that is this good and also is like good at helping like getting the group working on it to feel close mm. like the material lends it like truly does lend itself to a certain kind of um camaraderie and and it's it's just been really really lovely and special and um I you know I, I just want my castmates I want their work to be seen and I want like you know the entire team that's working on this designers crew stage management direction all of them I just I just want their work to be seen like like I like I am the last person you will remember if you come to see this because there's Aww. just that much <laughs> wonderfulness happening yeah oh wow that's lovely I know that if I had all the money in the world I would fly to Boston to go see you this has mm. been 
so delightful getting to talk to you. Seven Guitars runs from February 8th to March 5th, I believe. Yes, Yes, that is correct. Shakespeare Project. Awesome. Um, I hope you all go out and see it and support. It sounds like it's going to be a banger. Yes. Yes. I think that's the that's the right <laughs> word for it. <laughs> Sweet. Um again, Regine, thank you so much for doing this. You are welcome back on the show anytime. It was so wonderful to. talking to you. Yeah, um thank you so much. Of course, of course. That is what we have for y'all for today. And we will see y'all next month for another Bulls with the Bard. Bye y'all. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Regine and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. You can also find a link to tickets to Seven Guitars at Actor Shakespeare Center in the description. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the podcast so much. We will be back in February for another random episode, but I want to look forward to season two for a second. The next season is going to be all about Shakespeare's problem plays, how we address them, if we should at all. And season two is going to work a little bit differently. I plan to have multiple guests per episode so we can get some varying viewpoints on these plays and have some good conversations. So this is a bit of a call for submissions. If you have some very strong opinions about The Merchant of Venice, All's Well That Ends Well, The Winter's Tale, Troilus and Cressida, Timon of Athens, Othello, Taming of the Shrew, The Tempest, Twelfth Night, or Measure for Measure, send us an email at bullswiththebard at gmail.com and we'll get you scheduled for an interview. Of course, for some of those plays, these conversations are going to be restricted to the communities that they most impact, but let's have a good conversation. Let's find out what we can do with these problem plays if we should still be doing them at all. We'll be back with more Bulls with the Bard next month. Until then, bye all. A thousand thousand sighs to save all Lay me where sad true lover Never find my grave to weep there